Welcome to the podcast. This is a weekly podcast by Denver Transplants. I'm Matt. And I'm Andrew. And this is You Aren't From Here. Howdy, everyone. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I feel like I got to say howdy after last episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. The uh, National Western Stock Show last week, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. It's a great, great episode. And uh, I feel like I got to say howdy after listening to that one. But we've got an awesome episode for you guys today. Just back to back to back to back to back interviews. So this week, we have interviewed um, the head board member of Denver Botanic Gardens. And what I learned, and I learned this the hard way, and you'll hear it in in the episode for everyone that is curious, uh, it is Botanic Gardens, not Botanical Gardens. And uh, I got yelled at. So uh, the the lady's name is Kathy Hodson, um, and she's awesome. And I think you guys will really enjoy that. So if you haven't been to the Denver Botanic Gardens, definitely go. Hopefully this episode teaches you a little something and gets you uh, kind of amped uh, to go, you know, go see it, especially as it starts getting, the weather starts getting warmer and all that. So. Yeah. And I would say, uh, don't, don't make Kathy sound mean. She didn't fully yell at you. She just advised you that it's Botanic. No, Kathy screamed at me and I cried. <laughs> and it was just awkward. So we had to cut that out of the episode. It was just, it was just embarrassing. Embarrassing. So, no, Kathy's, yeah. yeah, Kathy's too nice to, to yell at me, but yes, she advised me that it is botanic gardens, not botanical gardens. Exactly. So great interview. Looking forward to it. Uh, this week, things you need to know. Uh, one of the big ones that I saw, another kind of thing around, you know, Denver getting outside is uh, the art walks. So first Friday art walks, uh, they're going to return to Santa Fe on June 4th. 2021. So this will be the first one of the season. Um, first Fridays, I believe is the first Friday of every single month. It's from 5.30 PM to 9.30 PM rain or shine. And it's year round. It's at uh, 13th Avenue and Almeida Avenue. And it goes, it spans from 13th Avenue and Almeida Avenue and to Calamuth street to Inca street. The bulk of the galleries is walkable between like the fifth and the 11th avenues. Um, but it's pretty much just like a big, huge art festival. And if you, it's every Friday on those days. So there's vending machine, there's vending and food trucks. And then, um, there's just a bunch of artwork and there's alcohol and all of the above. So good event. Glad it's back. If you need, want more information on it, just look up art district on Santa Fe and, uh, you can find more information on it. So excited to see those are back after COVID and. Um, great time to get out and go to the first one on June 4th. So leading into that, uh, big news last week for the, what did you learn? Uh, I know it could be controversial for some people, but for, we are looking at it at least that we are moving forward and putting COVID in the rear view mirror for Denver and for Colorado. So Denver is moving to level clear. And that is the state of Colorado as well, which we look at as it's getting closer. We're getting closer to normal. So that's exciting news. Uh, I mean, that's 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 the biggest that's the biggest news that you can really get. I mean, like you said, regardless of how you feel about it, I mean, that that is objective proof that things are getting better. And that's like I mean, that's the biggest I feel like that's the biggest hurdle of doing the all clear, whether 
you know, it's weird. We're still in this weird purgatory phase of like, where do you wear, where do you not? But like to get the full all clear from a mask perspective with exceptions, I know you'll, you'll probably talk about those, but uh, I mean, that's huge. Awesome. I'm pumped. Just absolutely pumped about that. Yeah. And that mainly came from due to the CDC releasing a report that said, if you are vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask indoors or outdoors. And so it kind of pushed all of the states and cities to kind of jump to it and release new restrictions. Uh, currently in Denver, you can now it's back to 100%. So all restaurants and um, places are back to 100% occupancy if they choose to, and you don't have to socially distance and you don't have to wear a mask. And that was as of Sunday, May 16th. So the only places I believe that you have to wear a mask is still in hospitals, schools and prisons. And then based on each restaurant's jurisdictions, what they want to require. I know some places are saying that, you know, if you come in with a mask that they just assume that you're vaccinated. So I think it's still trying to push a lot of people to get the vaccine. Um, I know there's just been like a lot of different events that have focused around vaccines and getting vaccines and, you know, getting, I think there was like a free shirt at the Rockies game. There was like something if you went Day Basin, you could actually get a vaccine. And then you also got like, I think it was like a free drink or something like that. So check in if you do get your vaccine or if you need a vaccine and get out there and enjoy COVID free life, hopefully. Yeah. And you do still have to wear on airplanes as well. I just flew back from Dallas and, you know, still have to do that. I don't, you know, no telling when they're going to pull it completely for that kind of thing as well. But, um, you know, still, still planes, trains and automobiles. Uh, just kidding. Please don't wear it in your car by yourself. But um, it, uh, yeah, if, if you're still on airplanes, still got to wear it. But yeah, dude, I, I think that's, I mean, huge news. And one thing I thought that was interesting is when I was in, when we were, I was in Texas all last week, they are pumping vaccine like commercials on literally everything because you know texas conservative state a lot of people are you know wary to do it and i just thought it was interesting because like i was getting blasted on tv radio podcasts like legitimately like everything that had to do with with texas in that area uh sorry that's gary um had, they were just pumping that so it's just very interesting it's kind of you know they're definitely pumping the pumping the vaccine marketing which is good yeah. So moving forward, uh, this week, the where did we go is going to be the Denver Botanic Gardens. Just trying to convince everybody, you know, with the weather getting better and getting nicer after this couple of days of rain that you get out, see some plants, be good probably for the mental health after the few days of rain. So get out there, get to the Denver Botanic Gardens and have some fun. So moving on, Matt, uh, what do we try this week? Yeah, so uh, we went to Spinelli's Market, and if you guys will remember, we went to Lou's and reviewed Lou's, uh, you know, a couple weeks back, and very similar dynamic here, right? So essentially, Spinelli's is a, you know, I'd probably call it an Italian market, and they have a bunch, a bunch of different things that you can get, whether it's sandwiches, whether it's actual meals that you bring home and heat up. Um, it, it's very, very much a market. And what, what I will say about Spinelli's is Spinelli's is much more like a grocery store than, than Lou's is, right? So Lou's, you can get all the same things, but like Spinelli's legitimately has like small aisles that you can walk and get like, 
ingredients and all that stuff with. So it's a little bit more emphasis on the market, but still very similar in the sense that they have their Italian sandwiches, they have your pre-made meals that you can get um, and all that stuff. And so Spinelli's really, the, the, the best things that when I went, you know, I got their Italian sandwich. It's their number one, the Jerry's classic Italian sub, um, very similar to Lou's. It's got, you know, the salami, capricola, uh, ham, provolone, roasted red peppers, marinated onions, lettuce, tomato, house dressing on a ciabatta roll. Um, so it's, it's very, very similar. And it's, I mean, it was, it was out of this world. I will say the sandwiches here are slightly cheaper. And so, you know, these Italian, that Italian sandwich will run you, you know, just it's 1099. So 11 bucks, it's around 13, 13 to 14 at loose. So you save a couple bucks, um, going to Spinelli. So definitely just, you know, very similar, you know, pricing a little different, but, but very, very spot on and, and uh, a good supplement to, lose comparable comparable wise so the other thing that they have is they they have a monthly menu which i thought was really interesting and so every monday and wednesday they have um different meals that you can buy that they offer and that they have they'll, they'll allow you to buy two servings and the price changes based on you know what the meal is but it really averages anywhere from it's it's mostly 1999 or 2099 and you can go buy two servings of this for a dinner. And I mean, you know, right now, uh, May 3rd, so obviously in the past, but May 3rd, there was a penne a la vodka with grilled chicken and asparagus. Two servings of that was 20 bucks, 10 bucks a person. I mean, that's like, you can barely get that at Chipotle in, in under 10 bucks, right? Or fast food in general. So the monthly menu is something that I definitely, you know, we haven't done yet. Uh, Carly and I haven't done yet, but we have done the sandwiches it's a very awesome and solid spot for, for that stuff. Um, they also have what? Go ahead. No. Oh, well, I was going to say the other, the only last thing that they're really kind of known for is they have their own Spinelli's pasta sauce. Now, again, this is not one that I have had yet, but there's a bunch of advertisements on their website around their Spinelli sauce. And so if you're a big advocate for all natural pasta sauce. If you're Italian, your family's Italian, your significant others are Italian, and they're very snooty on the ingredients used and all that. Spinelli's is, um, they're, they're touting this spaghetti sauce like it could be a really, really good option to get some freshly made homemade pasta marinara sauce or marinara sauce, pasta sauce. Um, and, you know, just give it a shot as well. So those are kind of the big things. And again, they have a bunch, you know, it's a market, they have vegetables and all that stuff too. But in my mind, that's kind of what separates Spinelli's. Yeah. Would you, uh, what would you say rating wise? Is it, is it better than Lou's? Like sandwich wise? If you, if you took specifically just a sandwich, is it better than Lou's? And then secondly, what's your rating of the total experience? Oh man. So that's a loaded question. So I will say I like Lou's. Italian sandwich better, but not by a lot. So it's slightly better. Um, there are a lot of factors you're paying more, but I do like the, the bread. The ciabatta bread is a little hard to eat. It's one of those things where you bite on one side, it kind of comes out the back. Lou's does that a little bit, but I felt like it was easier to handle. And I, I would say, I don't even remember what I gave Spinelli's, but I would say, or, or what I gave Lou's, but I'd say Spinelli's is probably like 
0.3 points shy of lose. So it is like, it's right on the, it's right there. And when you factor in price, it may be enough to bump it up pretty, pretty darn close to even. Cause you save a couple bucks and they, they load you up with meat just like they do at loose as well. So I would say I like lose sandwiches, the Italian sandwich better, but overall experience. I like the feel of Spinelli's. I would say the overall Spinelli's itself and the overall experience sandwiches aside, I like Spinelli's better. And the reason why is because Spinelli's feels like that, that Italian mom opened up, you know, our Italian mom at family and grandma is in the back, opened up your kind of local shop and is back there making homemade pastas. It's definitely less commercialized and more like authentic, real Italian. Um, so I really like that. I bet their pasta, their homemade pastas and all that are probably out of this world. I haven't been um, enough to go there, but I like Spinelli's in the sense that divey is not the right word, but it's like a local homemade market more so than like Lou's seems a lot more commercialized because it's owned by, you know, a restaurant company that owns Rosenberg's and all these other ones. So, but this one feels a little more like authentic, if that makes sense. So yeah. um, you'll know exactly what I mean when you show up to Spinelli's. It's uh, it's there's, there's nothing sexy about it, right? It is an Italian market. So yeah. Uh, so it sounds like you need to go to both. If you're listening to this, you need to go both Spinelli's and Lou's and give us your feedback. Cause both. Yeah. yeah, dude. And it's, it's, it's cool. Cause like, you know, Lou's is, Lou's is right around like the Rhino area. It's on the, you know, it's on, it's West of city park and Spinelli's. And I didn't even tell you guys where Spinelli's is. So Spinelli's, the address is four, six, two, one East 23rd Avenue. So it is on 23rd. And if you know anything about the city park area, 23rd is what splits the golf course from the city park area. So the zoo and all that, and this, the golf course up top golf course is just North of 23rd zoo and the park is just South of 23rd. So it's, it's what splits that whole area and it is East of city park in the park Hill area. So it's kind of on like a row of shops and it's very unassuming again, but um, it's a very solid local spot. So I would always say, you know, if you're in the Park Hill area, you're in Stapleton, you're, you know, east of east of town. It's a, it's a very solid spot for an Italian market that doesn't require you to go, you know, very far out of your way to get to. So I think it's I'm a big fan of yeah. Spinelli's for sure. Sounds bomb. I'm in. Count me in. Yeah. So so you and I will have to go get like their meal and you and I can just have like a, a bro date and just do the two serving, you know. Penne a la vodka with asparagus. That sounds bomb. Sounds good to me. I'm in. Simon. <laughs> good. Good, dude. Well, so for, as far as my rating goes, I, honestly, I love Spinelli's. I'm probably going to go 8-1. Wow. I think, I think um, for me, and you know if you've been listening to these episodes, you know, we're in the early 30s at this point. So if you've been listening, you hopefully know our personalities fairly well. I am a big advocate for uniqueness. And, uh, you know, when you can't really compare and, you know, Lou's and Spinelli's are similar in the sense that they both have their Italian markets and they have sandwiches, but I love the authenticity of Spinelli's and the fact that it's not the bells and whistles. It's like, you go in, you know, you're going to get some good food and you get out, you know, it's not prime real estate. None of that. You're not paying a premium to go because just cause they're in 
wash park area or something, you know? So I like that. I like that uh, aspect of Spinelli. So a one for me, very solid spot. Definitely go give it a shot. It may have a bunch of other sandwiches too. I only talked about the Italian sandwiches, but man, they have, you know, I'm not going to go through all of them, but they have 23 different sandwiches on their menu. So just go ham. If you don't like Italian sandwiches or you want different bread or all that, you can mix and match and do all sorts of stuff. So don't just, uh, don't hear me saying that that's the only sandwich they have. They have 23 different sandwiches as well. So I'm just not going to bore you guys. You can Google Spinelli's and go through the menu. Yeah. Thank you for holding back on that. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I got you. So that's that. Well, that's the opening. It's what you've come to know and love. Next up is the interview with Botanic Gardens interview. Here you go with Kathy Hodson. Sit back, relax, enjoy. And, uh, you know, if you have any comments or want to go to the Botanic Gardens with Sweat and I, slide into the DMs. We can go on a big, uh, big picnic Botanic Gardens date. So have a great week, guys. We love you guys. And we will see you all next week for another awesome interview. Who's? All right, everyone. We have Kathy Hodson here, who is the board chair at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, so Kathy, let's just kind of, you know, get us started here. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of how you started your involvement with the Botanic Gardens? Sure. Um, so I'm a city manager of the city of Lakewood, and I started my career, um, Right outside high school, I was a lifeguard for the city of Lakewood, and I taught little kids how to swim. So as I was getting my undergrad degree every summer, I came and worked at the pools for the city of Lakewood. And then I was looking for a real job after I graduated, my undergrads in psychology and journalism. I was looking for a real job and I was promoted to, I was promoted up through the system. So I was a recreation coordinator and then a recreation manager and then a recreation supervisor and then a department head and I got to manage our golf courses and our over 100 parks, our four rec centers, our museum, our cultural center and that's what I did. So I was the director and then I went and got a master's in public administration from UCD and then the city sent me to Harvard to the Kennedy School and um, I took a program in executive leadership And that's when I decided, oh, the world needs more female city managers. So um, I applied for the job because the city manager retired about two years later, applied for the job. The city did a national search and they hired me. So I've been the city manager of Lakewood for 12, almost 12 years. We we round up in city manager world. We round up because uh, sometimes uh, curves are short. So, um, yeah, so I've been city manager for it'll be 12 years this summer. Wow. Nice. So, are we are we allowed to call you a Harvard grad then? Um, well, it was a short, just a, a certificate. So, I mean, I bought the t-shirt, but no, you can't call me a Harvard grad. <laughs> the details are not important, okay? Yeah. You went to Harvard, you got you got some paper from Harvard, the details aren't important. <laughs> well, that's funny. Um, yeah, so, but no. Um, so, so during this, during this time, um, I was on another board and a woman who's now the CEO of Craig Hospital was on the Botanic Gardens board and said, Kathy, would you be interested? And 
um, we have a nominated governance group who um, invited me to come in and to apply for the board and they voted and um, invited me to be on the board of trustees. So that happened about six years ago or seven years ago. And as time went on, I got real, um, real involved, real engaged on the board. And then I was asked to, to be the board chair. So this is my third year as the board chair, third and final year as a board chair of Botanic Gardens. And is it kind of like you have like a term limit? Is it only like a three-year term or? Yeah, yeah, we do have term limits, but once you go into like the leadership post, then you stay until um, like I'll stay, I'll be the the um, past, the past board chair while the next one after me is there and then I'll go off after that. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's so, yeah. So maybe you're interested in why, you know, if, if this is a part of the job as a city manager, I mean, it's kind of an unusual connection. So how's that? I'm asking my own questions. How's that? No, I think, I think it's, well, honestly, Kathy, you know more about like that. That was going to be a next question is how is like, how are, how is your job and your board position? How are they related? And is that a typical, because I, I was looking down, I'm like Lakewood is nowhere near the Botanic yeah. Garden. So I'm like, geographically, it's not under your purview, I wouldn't think. So that is actually an interesting question. Yeah, that is. And it's kind of, when I think about it, it's kind of twofold. So one of the real goals of, of the Botanic Gardens is to, is to reach broadly and to not just be a Denver-centric organization and a facility, but to reach uh, across the state and even nationally to invite people to be a part of the Botanic Gardens and all the things that it offers. So from that perspective, being the city manager of Lakewood is a nice way to kind of connect Denver with the West Side. Um, and for me personally, you know, I live my life in the world of policy, right? So I work for 10 city council members and a mayor. So I work for 11 elected officials and my day-to-day -day is about um, interacting about policing issues and think about policing issues in this day and time. We have about, I think, 428 men and women who serve on our police department that I oversee. And that we have some real challenging things happening in the police department. Um, we're currently at the council um, level, we're talking about taxation on marijuana, both retail and um, medical. We're talking about how do we regulate short-term rentals, which are Airbnb and VRBO. We talk about um, sustainability programs and on and on, lots of land use issues and on and on. So I live in this world of policy. It's, it can be really contentious. It can be um, frustrating. It can be controversial. Um, so for me personally, working and, and being on the board of the Botanic Gardens is a lovely respite for me. It's volunteer, of course, and most of the work is outside of work hours. So it's just a really nice balance for me. Um, the Botanic Gardens is managed really well. It, I mean, it's incredible how well managed it is. So being mm -hmm. on the board, I don't have to like fix anything. It's not like the organizational consternation, like some boards, it's just, it's well run, it's smart, it's efficient. And I've learned a lot from that board, which I can take um, as a leader, as a city manager. So it really feeds me in a way I never, I mean, it's an odd connection, but it really feeds um, kind of my soul, I guess. 
Yeah, no, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and um, I, I do want to transfer into, you know, more of, you know, the Denver Botanic Gardens itself, right? And so for people that maybe have never gone or that maybe for people that think that the Denver Botanic Gardens, all it is is a good outside place to go look at pretty flowers, you know, how would you describe Denver Botanic Gardens and how, like you talked a little bit about its purpose and how, how is Denver Botanic Gardens more than just the pretty flowers and, and plants that you see? And, and what are what are some activities outside of just pretty viewing that, that you can do there? Yeah, so, you know, the gardens are really, like I said, it's, it's a garden, the gardens are for everyone and we try to attract and make it really simple to come and come to the garden. So it doesn't matter who you, what you look like, how old you are, who you pray to, who you love, what color your skin is. We try to just be and how much money you make, right? So it's about really being inclusive. There's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty and pretty flowers. And from that perspective, it, there's a huge element of respite there. When I walk through the gardens, I, all, I often have my palms out because it feels very Zen to me. And it's just really, um, it's tranquil. So there's that, but there's also a lot of educational opportunities. There's, uh, you learn so much about horticulture, right? And botany, we've got, we've got museums and the theater there. We have um, the different gardens from different cultures, like there's a Japanese garden. So it, it kind of depends on what you want. Um, it isn't just pretty flowers. And if that's all you want it to be, that's great. And that can give you like an emotional kind of refueling, but there are a lot of people who come and try to understand, really want to learn about horticulture. And we have a whole, we have a lab at the new uh, Fair Newman Center, which they like um, collect fungi. And there's hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of fungi that they use like a Dewey Decimal System and they um, keep track of the fungi. It's pretty incredible. All of everything that you can learn and experience at the gardens that's, that goes far beyond just pretty flowers. And then, so obviously the Botanic Gardens, it's the garden itself. And that's like the main, I think what most people think of Botanic Gardens, but outside of that, what do you get, what exactly does Botanic Gardens promote and like how, what is the purpose of it? Yeah, so the whole, one of the, our visions is to delight and enlighten um, so I guess delight is, is really around just um, learning about all the beauty and all the things that grow um, and to just experience that. The enlightenment is the learning part. So um, there's a whole program on sustainability and um, what, what is it? It's like a whole regener regenerative agriculture, which is about improving the soil as you work the soil. Um, so there's, it, it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of emphasis on sustainability and sus education on sustainability. There's also a lot of work around diversity and understanding the different cultures um, and how growing is, is something that we, we all are united around. Um, we also try to be really open to the people who have a hard time maybe financially being able to visit the garden. So we have a lot of outreach. We, we actually, um, 
We have a grant program where we go out and shuttle kids in who can't afford to come in. We do free days and just to teach them, to teach kids where food comes from, right? Real food, real food that nourishes your body as opposed to, you know, the crappy stuff you can get at a convenience store. So there's a lot to it. And I'm sure I'm not giving it, doing it justice, but um, there's, there's really a lot to the Botanic Gardens and it's, um, it's, I don't know if you know this, but it's the top tourist designation in Colorado. And it's also number one recommended thing to do in Denver by TripAdvisor. So once you discover the gardens, people really love it. And, and I think that's all about, um, like we said earlier, it's all about you, you kind of get, get what you need there. Right, right. Well, it, it's, it's a garden of serenity quite literally in a bustling metropolitan city like it because I, I live I live two minutes from botanic gardens up north from there and I pass it every time I drive by and I'm like man like I'm not I've never I haven't I still haven't been full transparency don't be mad at me but um I but every time I drive by I'm like all right I need to go next weekend we're going and then it's on Saturdays you can barely drive on York because it's yeah. it, there's people crossing that the street there so I'm, yeah, I don't worry, Matt. I make up for you. I've been more than once, so we're good. Okay, Andrew, I am. I am curious. So I have been to the Dallas Botanic Gardens as well. Is that connected to the Denver one? And is there more locations throughout the country, or how does yeah. it work? There's there's botanic gardens all over the country, um, okay. and they're not they're not like funded together, but they make up um, oh, the American Public Gardens. APA something association. So they all talk to each other. Those they are peers, but from a funding standpoint, they're all separate. Um, Denver's really lucky because some of our funding comes from SCFD, which is a, a seven county tax that was developed, I don't know, years ago, which really helps all of our, our tier one and our tier one um, uh, facilities, which includes like the art museum, the museum of nature and science, right? The zoo and the botanic gardens is one of those. So as a board, we toured the Phoenix gardens, which is probably similar to what you saw at Dallas. And um, the, so the funding structure is different, but it's, it's all about community and public gardens for um, serving the public. Yeah. I'm curious. I've been to the Dallas one. I've been to the Denver one and they both have Chihuly art like his glass blowing yeah wise. so is, is there a connection between the botanic gardens and him or is that just a coincidence the truly exhibit yeah he he he's amazing did you happen to see that exhibit a couple years ago i and did and dallas also had some art as well yeah i think isn't he from down south i think he is and so there are a few gardens that have his work. He just likes to exhibit his, his um, art in outdoor kind of museums and settings. So it's, how do I say this? It's just kind of coincidental. And I do think he's from the Dallas area, I think, and I could be wrong, but the, not all the gardens are like that, um, have the Tahuli, but we were just really lucky. That was a really cool exhibit. Well, in, in speaking of all those exhibits, I, we were looking at doing some research before on the website. We see you guys have a couple upcoming, one actually starting today, and we're, you know, we're interviewing on the 13th, but you guys have Radiant Seasons coming up from what I could see, and then you have Salvador Dali, which is awesome, coming in April. 
So can you can you tell like a little bit of I don't know how much information you have around those, but just yeah. getting a little bit of hype around for our listeners around, you know, what those are going to entail um, and what those are going to kind of look like. Yeah, so both of those exhibits are open right now. Oh, um, okay. And that's uh, pretty recent. They just opened the Salvador Dali is pretty amazing. And it makes you wonder, wow, what an interesting life. Um, yeah. it, it's eclectic and it's, well, it's really fascinating. And it's in our new Frere Newman Center. Um, it has really drawn people already because of the, the local legend that he is. And he did so much of his art around plants and in, in the world of plants. Across the way in the gallery, just across from where the Dali one is, is uh, the Radiant Seasons. And that artist, he's a local artist and his name is Kevin Sloan. His work is just astounding. The colors and the, the whole idea behind his art is as you look at it, it tells a story that, that um, really is interesting. I, I love the skies in his work. It's, it's almost emotional. And uh, there's a yeah. lot of, in, in some it's just really angry. It's very interesting. And they're, they're very different one from the other, the two exhibits that are just across the way in two separate galleries in the new building. Um, but they're beautiful and it's, they're beautiful in their own way. And the Dali stuff for me, it just makes me scratch my head because I'm kind of an amateur that way. And I think, yeah. what, what was this guy thinking? But <laughs> it, it's, it, how does he sleep at night? Right. Think, right. right. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. I'm like, wait, wait, how does is, this is art? Okay. Well, like, it's beautiful, but how, what, how did you get to this point? Like, <laughs> me too. Me too. I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. So, well, and so are those, Kathy, are those included in general admission if you pay for a ticket to get in? Do you get yeah. that as well, or is that a separate deal? It, it is a part of the general admission. Um, yeah, and it's a new building. It's a gorgeous building that has a theater and it has those galleries and um, there's a little coffee shop and uh, it's just cool. And it's, a, it's attached to an existing building on the, let's see, let's see, that would be on the north side of the campus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And and I that was my mistake. I I see March and my brain is so fried today that I was like, oh, May, May, March, close enough. So yes, these are open. And just for everyone that's listening, Radiant Seasons goes till July 11th, from what I saw, Kathy. And then yeah. Salvador Dali goes till August 22nd. So I think that's right. Yeah. And, okay. uh, so you'll okay. see you're gonna see Matt between now and July eleventh, is what he's saying. Well, I'm, I'm pumped about the Salvador Dali. I didn't know that was in there. So I've, I've got to go check that out. It, it's beautiful. It really is. It's interesting. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's so kind, of, kind of two focus more on within the gardens. Um, one question is, how often do you go to the gardens? Yeah, personally, I go as yeah. often. Yeah, it goes often as I can. And frankly, with this job, it's sometimes it's tough for me. We have we have our meetings in the gardens, which or we used to before COVID. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, when I say meetings, I mean our board meetings. And I'm fortunate mm -hmm. I come and I visit with our, I have meetings with our board chair on a regular basis in the gardens. Um, when I have an open weekend, I go. I also go down to Chatfield Farms, which is right off of Wadsworth and I think like C470 down there. It's a different experience, but mm -hmm. it's, a part, it's a part of the Botanic Gardens kind of network 
or family and uh that's that's actually closer to where i live but it's it's a different experience it's much bigger it's seven uh, so chatfield farms is about 700 acres as opposed to the york street is 24 acres so it's just more expansive and it's a working farm and it's like the sky is just really big at Chapel Farms, whereas it's more condensed and dense on the on the York property. Yeah, got it. And on, we'll talk a little. We have a couple more questions on Chatfield Farms as we saw research on that. But curious on what is your favorite thing to see at the York Street ones? Um, we just wanted to focus, I guess, on some lesser known sites or activities that people don't see on the regular basis and don't really know about. Yeah. So, uh, well, I love the Japanese gardens, but that's a pretty popular part of the botanic gardens. So my answer would be what I, what I like the most is just watching the interactions of the people who come to the gardens. I love seeing the little kids and um, they'll roll down the hill on the amphitheater and the parents <laughs> sit at the top of the hill and just watch them. I love to see like at events, like, like the blossom of lights and the, it's just so gorgeous. And it's such a, a shock of beautiful holiday lights and to see the delight in the kids as they walk through, you know, I like to see all the couples and the older couples and the, the groups who I like to see the different ways that they consume the gardens. That's just really precious to me um, because everyone, again, everyone's so different and has such different interests. So I mean, you'll see people, I'll see people who walk around with a little notepad and they're writing things down, taking notes on the different kinds of plant species, right? And other little kids are, or little kids are just fascinated by the beautiful colors or the turtles that are in the pond. Um, so that's my favorite thing is just to watch. I just like to watch, maybe because I'm a psych major, I don't know. I just like watching the people <laughs> and how they interact. How they interact. It's, it's cool, it's really special. I'm going to walk in there and then turn to my right and Kathy's going to be staring at me watching we interact with people. I'm like, oh, oh, there, hey, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? Yeah. Yeah. How does that make you feel? How's that? <laughs> yeah. <make> you feel? <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Well, and so the, the whole Chatfield Farms thing, Kathy, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and how that's related? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, just maybe in more detail how that's related to, I'm going to abbreviate it to DBG, Denver Botanic Gardens, for everyone that's not, just because that gets lengthy saying it, but how that's related, what, what the mission of Chatfield Farms is and how, how that it kind of supplements DBG's like mission. Yeah, so it's really, it's different. It's a very different experience. It's, right. It is a working farm. Um, it, it's, it, the, I don't know if this matters, but the ownership's different. So the York Street is owned by the city and county of Denver, or at least most of it. There's a couple of parcels within that aren't. The Chatfield Farms is actually owned by the Corps of Engineers. So it's on a long-term lease. And um, so it's an agreement, which is interesting when you're working these agreements with the different kind of ownerships. Um, and the cool thing about Chatfield Farms is it's just very different. Um, we actually do a lot of what's called regenerative art, um, um, agriculture, which is about as you work the land, you're actually improving the soils for the, for the next growing season, which is um, really what we should be doing, right? And um, Deer Creek goes through there. So we have this whole riparian restoration uh, program as well that expands the 
um, the cleanliness of the water um, through just natural practices. We have this program that I, I just adore and it'll bring you to tears when you really look into it. It's a, a veteran program and it's teaching veterans how to farm and how to work the earth. And it, it's teaching veterans a whole new um, a whole new discipline so that as they're transitioning to mainstream, um, they have a new set of skills in terms of farming and it's all about the, the restoration and the regeneration of the agriculture and they grow things. And while they're doing that, while they're learning a new skill, they're, they're bonding with each other, right? And that's so necessary, like understanding some of the experiences that, that these men and women come from. And it's, so it's, I mean, it's, it just brings you to tears, but it's just, it's a real healing kind of thing in a whole lot of ways. And these people are learning, you know, how to work the earth and how to make it productive um, for food production. And I don't know, it's just, it's very special and it's life-changing for these men and women. And it's, I am so proud to be a part of that because it's just so meaningful to the, to these veterans. So that's a, that's a really important, that's a really important part of Chatfield Farms. Um, there's also a huge lavender garden, which is cool. And which, you know, brings a bunch of butterflies, which is cool. And they're undergoing, because we've just finished, um, wrapped up the master planning of the Botanic Gardens on York. We're just starting now a big master planning process over at Chatfield Farms. So you'll see kind of more better connectivity, more organized areas for um, festivals and learning experiences, et cetera. So yeah, cool. Chatfield Farms is cool. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Seeing, especially seeing like something that large in scale and nature-wise just outside the city, I mean, it's, Obviously, we have the mountains in Colorado, but you don't really see like a true garden all the time and see like a river kind of running through it. So, so yeah. it'd be like a Zen moment to go to for sure. <laughs> totally. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, kind of one of our last questions we, we saw you become a member of the DGB or Denver Botanic Gardens. And if our members are interested, what are kind of the benefits of the membership? And then, what is the best way to sign up for it? Okay, so it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty inexpensive. In fact, just a day pass, the most expensive is $15 for an adult. So we, we try to make it really affordable and we're able to do that through um, uh, other kind of funding, subsidized funding. Um, but if you get a membership, you can take advantage of any of the, anything on the gardens, both at York and at Chatfield. And we have two other sites too. We have the Plains Conservation Center, which is in Aurora and Mount Goliath, which is at the top of Mount Evans. Those are uh, lesser known, but your the pass will the membership will get you into those two. You're also then afforded um, kind of sneak previews and um, access, advanced access into some of the different programs and offerings that the gardens have. So you know we just try to make it as affordable as possible and also try to be just try to meet all the needs of the users as much as we can okay and this this is a little bit of a surprise question hopefully it's not anything too crazy kathy but is there anything that you guys know of or that you're working on a dbg that's you know in the next five years let's say that's new and exciting you know any capital 
expenditures going out to expand buildings or, you know, any new plans that we can get our listeners excited about in the years to come? Yeah, so we, thank you. So we just opened the Fair Newman Center just last spring in the middle of COVID. Uh, but uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's a building that's unbelievably beautiful. It, it, the architecture is incredible. And that was about a, I wanna say 42 or $44 million project. And because it's so new and because of COVID, as a listener, I would be excited to visit it because it's brand spanking new and it's got amazing things around every corner. It's got a library and it's got a theater, like I said earlier. If I think about five years forward, the focus is really gonna be on Chatfield Farms and really th this big renovation to a beautiful site, but adding some more opportunities and improvements and accoutrements to the, the 700 acres. So think of the possibilities when you have such an, a, a large expansive site. So I think that's where I think that's where I'm really excited about is the new work over at Chatfield Farms. Okay. All right. And we have to ask this and, and I, I'm just, I'm like, I told you this, I come up with questions on the fly. So you have to bear with me here. We can cut this out, but we did an episode around some of the history of Denver and we were not aware of this, but um, Cheeseman Park apparently used to be an old cemetery I know. And yeah, there's a bunch of, you know, bodies and there's apparently D DBG has dug up some of said bodies. Have you, what is the, has there been any outside of the, the fact that, that, you know, there, you guys dug up bodies down there. Have you had any weird, there, there's, there's rumors about that area being haunted. Have there been any cool or crazy stories that have happened on the garden grounds that you guys know about or have heard about just for our paranormal lovers out there? <laughs> no, I've heard. I know that. And I've heard those stories. Um, the Waring House. So the Waring House is that old building that's off of Ninth and York. So it's on the edge. Can you picture that? It's that old building. And that's where a lot of the administrative uh, staff is um, yep. moving out of there and going to the Fair Newman Center. But yeah, you could, you'll, I've heard stories of, about presence, things. Yeah. So, yeah, I've heard that. And I personally never experienced it, but that's a cool building. There's like secret doors that open that, that look like just um, cabinets and it opens to a stairwell. It, it's, it's crazy. Um, and yeah, and the, the CEO, Brian Vogt will tell you that they've had experiences with ghosts there. So that's not- sounds like, sounds like when you guys move everybody out of there, that needs to just open up as an exhibit. Yeah. Haunted house kind of thing. Yeah. It, it is. It's spooky. It's kind of weird at night, but yeah. So it, that's not nothing. That's a thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, we, yeah. Cause I, I had no idea. And it's just kind of funny. It's like, it's a little ironic, right? Like that Denver chose to put like this beautiful botanic gardens and it's like, Oh, by the way, here's a little fun fact. You know, a lot of people didn't know. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah, when you plant those flowers, don't dig too deep. Right? Exactly. Yeah. If you hit anything, just move around it, move <laughs> around it, leave it be. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, sounds great. Well, Kathy, you know, we, we, um, we like to end these just with, you know, and you may not have anything else that you want to talk about, but we like to end it because we want to promote the Botanic Gardens. We want people or our listeners to get excited about it. So is there anything we've covered or anything that we haven't covered that you kind of want to let our listeners know about before we uh, let you go here? Um, 
And the answer can be no, Kathy. We can cut this out too. So it, it's not a big deal if not, but we always like to offer it up. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I wouldn't be, I don't know if this is important so you could cut it out, but I, I wouldn't be on the board if it weren't such a really impressive organization. I've been on boards where I've had to fire the CEO and it's been kind of a mess and I don't need that nor want that, but I'll tell you what, this is from top to bottom, this is a really good organization. A lot of the employees have PhDs and they, I, I haven't found a fault yet. These people really care about what they do and they really care about educating the public and about customer service. So, I mean, it's genuinely a really good place. You can take whatever you want from it and learn so much or else just go there and, and just feel. So um, I, I just really think it's a cool place and I would recommend it to anyone. And we try to serve everyone underrepresented. You know, it's not, it's not the garden, the elite garden club anymore. It's, it's a, it's for everyone. So yeah. for whatever that's worth, it's just a really special place. Got it. Yeah, no, that's great. That's yeah, great. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for talking with us. This has been super informative and, and really interesting. And so everyone, again, Kathy Hodson, um, the board chair of Denver Botanic, by the way, it's botanic, not botanical, botanic gardens. So Kathy, thank you again. We really appreciate the time. Sure. That was fun. Thank you.